0: Hello, Robin Williams, and I'm sure you're chocker with bad news, so let's take off with good news. And a PhD student from the University of Technology in Sydney, meet Mitchell Brennan. What happened last Monday when you went down in the harbour to have a look?
1: So I was monitoring our captive bred seahorses that we released in July of this year, and we released 384 seahorses into Chowder Bay in Mossman. Every week up until this point, I've been out there scuba diving and monitoring these seahorses, checking how they're doing in the wild and seeing if they're surviving. This Monday, I managed to recapture 65, and this is in a standardized 90-minute dive. So really positive signs. We know that they're out there and thriving in the wild. This is now three months post-release. And most excitingly, we're starting to see significant reproduction. So on Monday, just gone, I actually managed to see... 15 of our captive bred seahorses now out in the wild that were actually pregnant. So really positive and really hopeful that this will have a positive impact on the wild population as a whole.
0: Does this mean their little bellies were bulging and they're male bellies, aren't they?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's the males that give birth to the young. So we were able to see the 15 seahorses pregnant out in the wild through the inflation of their pouch, which indicates that they are pregnant. How small are they? The seahorses that we release were a minimum of five centimetres at the time of release. The species that we're working on, the white seahorse, grows up to 16 centimetres, at their total length. Most of our seahorses that we release would probably be around eight to nine centimetres at this point in time. So you
0: can actually see them? Yeah,
1: you can see them. The babies, on the other hand, are very teeny tiny, so less than a centimetre when they're born, so they're a lot tougher to find. How long have they been in Sydney Harbour, these various species? quite a long time now there's estimates of seahorses existing as they are for about 25 million years so a long long time and then in that period of time they've made their way over to australia and settled here so you have two species of seahorses that we commonly see the white seahorse and also the potbelly seahorse found here where do they live in seagrass or what yeah, so they'll use habitat. It's an absolute necessity for them. They are not very good swimmers, so they use habitat holding onto it with their prehensile tail. Typically, this would be seagrasses, soft corals, sponges. And in the harbour, we actually see them utilising swimming nets and pylons as well. Swimming nets, really? Yeah, exactly. So in Charter Bay, for example, the swimming net was our main release point, And As the swimming net fouls up or gets bioaccumulation of marine fouling, it provides the seahorses with food as well, so little crustaceans will crawl on it, amphipods and copepods, but it also allows the seahorses to camouflage so they can change their colours to adapt to what the habitat is.
0: Is there a way of putting more of these artefacts around so that you... Increase of habitat availability for the seahorses?
1: There is. It's one of the key focuses of our conservation efforts for the species. So we install what we call seahorse hotels. So they're an artificial habitat. Essentially, they're a one by one metre metal cage, and the metal cage goes into the ocean and is placed onto sand flats where the habitat has been lost or degraded, so where seagrass used to be, for example. And these seahorse hotels, similar to the swimming nets, as I just said, they'll get this biofouling, and that brings along the necessary food for the seahorses, but also enables them to camouflage or protect themselves from predators as well.
0: What do people do around Sydney Harbour for preserving the seagrasses? Because they're not only valuable for all the sea creatures and so on, but as I've said, about 17 or is it 25 times on the science show, they really absorb gigantic amounts of CO2.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. They're super important. And unfortunately, they've been declining for quite a long time now. So we are transitioning towards trying to preserve them and restore seagrasses. So we actually have a collaborative project with the Operation Posidonia, which is a group from UNSW, where we are co-restoring seahorses and their endangered habitat. Last week, actually, we installed 20 new seahorse hotels some of these alongside existing Posidonia australis patches and some of these alongside bare sand where we're going to restore the Posidonia and hoping that we can combine these two approaches and restore both the habitat and the seahorse at the same time.
0: When you see other seahorses or even sea dragons, do you note them as well or do you restrict yourself to the white ones?
1: No, we will note them definitely. So the sea dragons and our species of seahorse don't overlap in terms of their environment too much. The sea dragons, particularly around Sydney, have found a relatively deeper environment. They utilise different habitat. So sea dragons are typically below 10, 11 metres. But the seahorses that I'm looking at, whilst they're found up to 18 metres of depth, Typically, they're in the shallower environments at up to 10 metres, so not too much overlap. But yeah, we're definitely monitoring Cynathids, which is the family name for seahorses, sea dragons and pipefish. We're monitoring them throughout the harbour as well. So on my surveys where I'm counting the seahorses that I see, particularly the captive red ones, I'm also recording the adult seahorses that I see, so the wild seahorses, but then also noting the pipefish as well. Aren't we lucky having these species just down the road? It's really, really incredible. They're so unique, especially in the marine environment. They're actually a group of fish. Most people overlook that, that seahorses and sea dragons are fish. They're just highly adapted and have these highly modified bodies. But we're super fortunate to be able to see them. So sea dragons, there's three species and all of them are endemic to Australia. And then the white seahorse, the species of seahorse I primarily work on, is also endemic to Australia, so only found here. And we have other seahorses, pipefish that are all found here and we're able to go out and see in the harbour.
0: Some people wonder why some seahorses, for instance the white ones, are not great swimmers. And the thing is that for the first couple of million years you're around, you're in a fairly gentle seagrass area and you don't need to swim big distances. You need to cling on and stay stable.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they've adapted and found that ecological niche that so they can survive in. So these seagrasses and sponges and soft corals that have existed for millions of years as well. And the seahorses were able to utilize them and survive as best as they can. It's only in the last, you know, hundred, two hundred years since we've been here and really impacting the environment that seahorses have begun to struggle as well.
0: Mitchell Brennan with Sims, that's the Sydney Institute of Marine Science, helping to look after those exquisite little creatures with hotels. He's also at the University of Technology in Sydney.